So our today's speaker is Per Werner. He obtained his MA in Sanskrit from the University of Oslo in 1970. From 1975, he was professor of history of religion at the same university until his retirement in 2007. While his doctoral thesis published in 1977 and reprinted several times was on the late Indian Buddhist tantric songs of the Chayagiti, his main field of research has been the Tibetan Pern religion on which he has published extensively. For instance, the Ben religion of Tibet, the iconography of a living tradition in 1995. By the way, he's also published on Western 19th century landscape art. For instance, his singing songs of the Scottish Harsh. And he's a member of the Norwegian Academy of Science and Letters, Oslo, and the Academia Ambrosiana Milano. Today, he will speak about the Kula of the Tibetan emperors and its metamorphosis in Jung Jung Pen. And without further ado, please welcome Perk Werner. There is, unfortunately, only fragmentary documentation of the religious beliefs and practices of the Tibetan emperors and their court. However, certain elements can be discerned. Today, I shall focus on the specific element, the Kula. In an article from 2015, Nathan Hill presents a comprehensive analysis of sources relevant to the imperial period concept of Kula, a term which is generally regarded as having been of great importance, but which at the same time has been much debated by scholars. Hill does not offer a translation of the term, but Ku is a honorific word meaning body and La is regularly translated by scholars as soul. Uh, for example, something karme translates Kula as soul of the body. However, in our monumental work of uh, compounds and compounding in ancient Tibetan, in old Tibetan, um, Joanna Bielek, 2018, has argued that Kula does not signify the emperor's soul as the word soul in classical Tibetan Balatala or Wiley BLA, Bla, pronounced La, is regularly spelt Ralatala, so Rla in Old Tibetan. Instead, Kula signifies literally God of the body. She argues that the original form was Ku Hla, L H A, Wiley, Ku Hla. Uh, Hla meaning, of course, God. And she explains how, in the written sources, it eventually came to be spelt La, Balatala, Bla. In other words, according to uh, Bialek, we are dealing with a deity, not a soul. Later on, the compound Ku La often gave way to the simplified form ku fla, thus paradoxically re-establishing the original form. I believe that Bielek's understanding of kula is correct, and also that the shift from kula to ku fla is of significance for the argument of this talk. In any case, the Kula is intimately connected with the person of the Tibetan emperor, hence the honorific Ku, body. In fact, Hill defines the Kula as, I quote him, 
the spiritual proxy of the Tibetan emperor, or his deified persona. From sources that date from the time of the Tibetan empire, we know that the major vassals of the Tibetan emperor worshipped the Kula at certain fixed times of the year, thereby confirming their, I quote, their relationship of vassalage to the Tibetan imperial family. It is therefore logical that the emperor himself did not worship the Kula. In fact, we do not know much about the characteristics of the Kula and nothing about its visual attributes, if any. This may be one of the reasons why it has been debated whether the Kula is a deity or simply the emperor's soul. However, I'd like again to quote Bialek here, uh, who concludes that, and I quote, rather longish but important quote, Kula referred to beings that were conceived of, at least to some extent, as anthropomorphic. They could rejoice, ge, grudge, pang, be fierce, nyem, or great temple. From among these, ge, pang, and nyem are used exclusively with living beings. In addition, Kula could beget, she, be propitiated, sol, could receive homage, chaktsel, gifts, yumbul, and offerings, choye. I think this is conclusive proof that um, the uh, Kula must be regarded as a deity. Hill sums up the position of the Kula in the following way, I quote, in terms of social hierarchy, the Kula sits as the spiritual parallel of the Tibetan emperor at the head of the great chain of being which rationalized the imperial Tibetan universe. In other words, although the Kula is a spiritual parallel or a spiritual proxy of the emperor, it is not identical with the emperor, nor with the emperor's soul. Furthermore, in certain imperial period versions of the myth of the origin of the Tibetan kings, I quote Hill again, the Kula is closely associated with the descent of the first Tibetan emperor from heaven. The first king then is closely connected to, but not identical with the Kula. Now, when the Tibetan empire broke up in the ninth century, the cult of the Kula ceased as there no longer existed a Tibetan emperor to whom it could be related. As Hill points out, the Kula, who is unique, is sometimes confused by scholars with the Kula, who are numerous and associated with mountains, which the Kula is not. However, the form Kula does not occur in texts from the imperial period and refers to deities that are quite distinct from the Kula. Another deity that also appears in the imperial period sources is the Yulha, who in later texts is sometimes conflated with the Kulha. However, the Yulha are only explicitly mentioned a few times in sources from the imperial period in connection with divination and once in a context that is not very clear. I thank you, Anna Bielek, for this information. I shall have more to say about the Yulha later. With the ascendancy of Buddhism, the Kula, as mentioned, disappeared while the Yulha underwent a change of character, becoming, it would seem, more prominent and brought in line with Buddhist cosmology and ethics. 
In the context of Buddhism, the Yulha were defined as worldly gods, Jiktenkilha, as opposed to those gods who were regarded as having attained the status of bodhisattvas and Buddhas, who are now at the apex of the Tibetan religious universe. A distinction between worldly gods and gods having transcended the world would have been meaningless in the, <coughs> in the non <coughs> sorry <coughs> in the non-Buddhist traditional context, where all gods in some sense were worldly. However, the distinction became fundamental all over Asia whenever Buddhism confronted deities of earlier religions. Thus, the Yula were assigned a legitimate, although somewhat subordinate, uh, status within Tibetan Buddhism, although a few had high status being identified with certain Buddhas, Yidam, that played a cent central role in tantric meditation and ritual. Now, starting in the 11th century and gaining momentum over the following centuries, the Buddhists in Tibet constructed a historical religious narrative according to which the Tibetan emperors were portrayed as the emanations of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas, with the Buddha's Dharma being promoted, promoted by these supernatural emperors as a divinely ordained civilizing process. In this narrative, the ancient religion was recast as evil or at best primitive, and any opposition to Buddhism, whether from ministers and queens or from the native non-Buddhist priesthood, was regarded as motivated by ambition and spite. In Buddhist sources, this non-Buddhist tradition is usually referred to as burn. As pointed out, this Buddhist narrative is not a historical account based on contemporary sources. My focus in this connection will, however, will, however be on the fact that at the same time that this narrative was being elaborated by Buddhists, a parallel narrative was created in certain circles that claimed, rightly or wrongly, and this is not the issue here, to continue the non-Buddhist and, in their view, pre-Buddhist religious tradition of Tibet, especially as practiced at the imperial court and focusing on the person of the emperor. This post-11th century tradition referred to itself as burn, more often as eternal burn, Yungjung burn, thus emphasizing its claim to continuity with the imperial period non-Buddhist religion. In the following, I shall draw on a 12th century anonymous text from the eternal burn tradition, a text which has so far been largely overlooked, except by few scholars engaged in the study of burn. The short title of the text is Drakpa Lingdrak, as the exact interpretation of the title is uncertain, I shall leave it without a translation. The text presents a coherent account of why and how it came to pass that Buddhism was introduced into Tibet by the Emperor Trisong Detson, who ruled, or who, sorry, who lived from 1742 to 1797. <clears throat> it places Tibet in the context of neighboring countries sets forth the various period, periods in the history of our world, gives a detailed mythological account of the descent of the first Tibetan king from heaven to earth, and traces the history of the Tibetan imperial dynasty down to Trisong Detson, before dwelling at length 
on the disastrous consequences of the emperors favoring Buddhism and banishing the burned priests from Tibet. The Drakpa Lengjak is a complex text, but what I want to focus on here is how it describes the relationship between the emperor and the specific deity on whose goodwill, according to the Drakpa Lengjak, the well-being of the emperor and that of the whole of Tibet depends. It must be kept in mind that the text is a historical narrative, or more accurately, a counter-narrative, and not a historical source, and therefore cannot serve to reconstruct what the non-Buddhist religion in Tibet was or was not in the 7th to 9th century. We might nevertheless <clears throat> have expected that the deity with whom the emperor is linked would be designated as was the case in the sources actually dating from the imperial period, as the Empress Kula. However, this is not the case. The Kula seems to have been completely forgotten. Instead, we find a deity with a different designation, namely Gula. How gosh up to Guragur, Gulha. Quite often, this single deity um, forms a pair with a group of other deities called the Pola, literally deities of the male, the males, associated with the emperor's subjects. As far as I'm aware, the terms Gurdha and Pola are not found in texts from the imperial period. This has kindly been confirmed by Joanna Bialik. Before discussing these two terms, I shall present excerpts from four passages in the Drakpa Lingdrak that illustrate the character of these two gods, the Gurla and the Pola. During the reign of the emperor Namri Lundsen, who reigned at the beginning of the seventh century uh, of the common era, the Drakpa Lingdrak says that when Buddhist texts were introduced into Tibet during his reign, the king intended to study them. By thus forsaking his ancestral deities, and I quote from the text, the worldly gods and demons were upset. The gula of the emperor was annoyed, manye, with the result that the realm Ngari was unsettled, truk, how truk, truk, will recur frequently, and disease, famine, and illness arose. The situation was eventually remedied by the emperor's personal priest, his Kushen, who settled Che, the worldly gods and demons, and worshipped the Gula, stopped disease and famine, and the king's illness was cured. Maybe as an aside, I should say that uh, I translate the Tibetan word kyap, usually meaning protect, as worship, because uh, kyap makes no sense as such, that the, the priest should protect the god. However, we do also find in the same position, we find the expression kyap tsel, to ask for, to, to beseech for uh, protection, in other words, to worship. Um, and I think that is what is intended wherever kyap uh, occurs in this context. Again, in the next episode, the same pattern was repeated when his grandson, 
Manglan Mangtsen, this is the name, uh, the way the name is given in the Drapa Lingdrak, although usually it's uh, given as Mangsong Mangtsen. So um, Manglan Mangtsen became emperor. He too brought Buddhist texts from India, with the result that his gurula flew off to the sky and the emperor fell ill. A third episode occurred during the reign of Chisong Detson, a period that Buddhists and Bumpus alike agree was crucial for the consolidation of Buddhism. Uh, the situation was that the emperor, uh, intending to invite the Indian Buddhist masters Padmasambhava and Shantarakshita from India, was warned by his chief minister not to do so, as the two Buddhists, and I quote, <coughs> that they, they do not shun the impurity of singeing the hearth, tap shop, nor murder and incest. So it is certain that your august gurla will be offended and the realm of Tibet will be ruined. That's what the minister said. But as the emperor did not heed his advice, the result was as, has, as had been predicted. The Tibetan armies suffered defeat on all fronts to the extent that, I quote, the whole realm was in complete disorder. The following section is worth quoting. It says, because of this, the emperor had second thoughts because of this military setback. And so his personal priests performed the divination more and said, this is the retribution for practicing the Buddhism coming from India. Now the gulha of the emperor must be implored for protection. It says kyaptsel. The priests must be asked to subdue your enemies, and the Buddhist monks from India must be sent back to their own country. If this is done, your dominion will be equal to the sky. So, thanks to the magic power of the priests, the ruler's enemies were vanquished, the gula of the Lord and the pulha of the subjects were pacified. I will give a final example still referring to the reign of Chisong Detson, the situation this time being that he had made the final decision to banish from Tibet those burned priests who would not convert to Buddhism. This caused the following reaction. Invoking the gods and the Lu of the visible world, the priests said, O Yarlung River, may you turn and flow upwards. May the gula of the ruler turn away its face <coughs> May all kinds of magic spells be cast on the land of Tibet. With these words, the priests flew off into the sky and disappeared. As a consequence, the gula of the ruler, just like the burnt priests, flew up to heaven, Namdu Pang. The Yalong River flowed upwards, and the emperor was stricken by illness. Text goes on to say, disease and strife, Trukpa, arose in the realm. The entire land of Tibet was unhappy, Ma De, and the royal power diminished like the point of a needle. Having asked a female priest, a Burnmu, what to do in order to remedy this, the emperor said to have followed her advice. I quote, he invited back some of the priests, 
The priests worship the gurha and the polha and perform many purifications, sel, incense offerings, sung, and lustrations, tree. Thereby, the faces of the gods again looked in the direction of Tibet, the Yalong River was calmed, the emperor was cured of his illness, and disease and strife in the realm of Tibet were stopped. To obtain a more systematic overview, let us take a closer look at the events and terminology involved. First, the cause of the calamities. <clears throat> it is either the introduction of Buddhist texts to Tibet and the emperor's intention to study them, thus neglecting his duty to worship the Gula, or in the case of Trisong Detson, the emperor's actual practice of Buddhist tantric rituals, <clears throat> which not only offends the Gula, but causes it to be affected by pollution, drip. Secondly, the reaction of the deities. The gods and demons, the Hlasin, are said to be upset and the Gurla annoyed. The Gurla flies off, Pang, flies off to the sky, Namdu Pang, and in two cases where the Gurla and the Pulha are mentioned together, they are likewise said to fly off. It is therefore clear that the Gurla and the Pulha, when annoyed, react by returning abruptly to the sky. Thirdly, the consequences of the deities abandoning Tibet, <clears throat> the king and his subjects are stricken by disease and famine, the whole realm falls into disorder or strife and becomes unhappy. And this unhappiness is specified as a whole series of natural disasters like the Yalong flowing upwards and many other disasters. Fourthly, various ritual remedies are employed by the priests to redress the situation. The anger of the gods and spirits is settled, the gurla, and in some cases the pola also, is worshipped, in one case after it has been invited to return. In the same passage, it is said that the cha and the yang are worshipped, cha yang chap. In his study of the rituals focusing on the celestial Sipa deities <clears throat> worshipped in northeastern Bhutan, in his recent uh, enormous two-volume work on this topic and many other topics, Tony Huber points out that Cha and Yang are blessings that descend bap, from the sky. It is therefore not surprising that in the Drakpa Lingdrak they are worshipped in the same way as a Gurla who is likewise associated with the sky. Three types of rituals that have to be performed are indicated, as we saw, purification, fumigation, and lustration. <clears throat> and fifthly, the situation after the ritual purification and propitiation, disease and famine are stopped, and the emperor becomes well. All the inhabitants of Tibet become established in happiness, De la que. Several of the characteristics of the gula correspond to those of the imperial gula. Both deities are intimately connected with the emperor, and both are, as a rule, a single unique deity whose origin is in heaven. Both receive offerings so as to remain happy. <clears throat> 
The gula, like the gula, has no specific location on the ground and, when angered, returns to the sky. <coughs> the celestial origin of the gula is worth em emphasizing as it distinguishes it from the yulha, the local or regional deities who are associated with specific mountains in the Drakpalingrak. However, as will be shown, this difference between gulha and yulha turns out not to be as clear-cut as one might think. There is an important difference, having now spoken a little bit about the similarities between the gula and the gula, there are also at, there's also at least one important difference between the gulha and the imperial kula. While the emperor, as we have seen, does not worship the kula, the king, in the context of the Drakpalingdrak, does worship the gula, or rather, the priests worship it on the king's behalf. Moreover, the purpose of, worship, of worshipping the gula is not to renew vassalage and loyalty to the king, but to ensure the welfare of the whole of Tibet, including that of the king, by rendering the august, the nien, the august gula happy. Nye. As mentioned, it seems that in the Drakpalingrak, there is as a rule only a single gula in contrast to the plurality of the yula. However, in one instance, the Drakpalingrak does refer to gula in the plural, indicated by the syllable nam, the august gulha nam of the ruler is referred to. So this distinction is not an absolute one. Another group of deities who, like the yulha, usually constitute an anonymous group are the pola, the gods of the males. In the Drapa Lengdrak, the pola are associated with the subjects, the bang, or ordinary people, or, and more frequently, with the ministers, the learn, the latter, of course, being also the emperor's subjects. Taking their lead from the gula, the pola also abandon the ministers and subjects when the gula is offended. It may be mentioned in passing that the pola the deities protecting but also representing the power of males are well known from later Tibetan popular religion, where they are associated with sacred mountains and the characteristic cairns, the fato, decorated with spares, symbolic arrows and prayer flags to be seen on mountain passes and other localities in Tibet even today. Or on the rooftop of houses. The pola also have the habit of vanishing into the sky if offended, for example, by the hearth being polluted. Just as Chisong Detson's minister warned him that the gulai would do the same if Padmasambhava, notorious for polluting the hearth, were to be invited into Tibet. Uh, the change of the name of the deity from Kula to Gurla is significant and is not a matter of mere substitution. It must be pointed out that the term kulha with fa instead of la is not unknown in the Drakpalingrak, where do find this term kulha applied to uh, two gods. One is the well-known god Geke, Geke here referred as Geke Mutur Chachi, and his son Chachi 
Rugu, Mineheads. Together they had called Kula Yapse, the Kula, father and son. The consort of the former is the Indian goddess, referred to as the Indian goddess, Berchenmo. But the Kula are of secondary importance in the Drakpalingrak and in no way replace the Kula. They're not a substitute at all for the Kula. In post-imperial texts, the term Gurtha does turn up, but not very often. In this respect, the Drakpa Lengdrak is a significant and hitherto unnoticed exception. Otherwise, in Buddhist texts, the Gurha, often spelled Gurla with Mao, Mao Ga, Shapchu Guragur, Gurha, refers to a group of 13 minor deities invoked, among other things, to avert hailstorms. In other words, in contrast to the Drakpa Lengdrak, where it usually is a single, unique deity. In these contexts, the Gula form a collective group. The Gula are also invoked in the Tibetan epic of King Gesar, a tradition that dates from the imperial, after the uh, imperial period. In the Gesar epic, the Gula are apparently only invoked together with various other groups of fierce but minor groups of deities. Sumpa Kempo, a prominent Tibetan scholar of the 18th century, mentions the Gula as being ruled by the sacred mountain Magyal Pumra in northeastern Tibet, and they're also said to reside on the summit of Gang Tise, Kailasha. <clears throat> there is also a reference to Gula in a hitherto little studied burn text, the Sipa Gyuki Kachang, which may date from the early 14th century hence a century or so later than the Drakpa Lingdrak. Referring to the reign of the Tibetan king Songtsen Gampo in the seventh century, the uh, Sipagyuki Kachang reads as follows, and I quote something Karma's translation from Leshidze, 1972, I quote, as the king followed Buddhism, the 13 royal divinities and the gods of Tibet withdrew into heaven. The country was filled with confusion and unhappiness. It was thought to be due to the acceptance of Buddhism and Buddhism was suppressed for a time. <clears throat> uh, this passage corresponds closely to similar passages in the Drakpa Lingdrak, the only change being, but it is a significant one, that instead of referring to the one and only Gurla, this text refers in Karmic translation to the 13 royal divinities. Now the Tibetan text in fact says the 13 gurla of the ruler. One might surmise that by the 14th century, the idea of 13 gurla was gaining ground at the expense of the idea of a single one. While these references are to the gurla as a group, there are at least two sources that list them individually. Under the heading, the 13 gurla of the ruler, in other words, exactly as in the uh, Sipagyuki Kachang, which I just quoted. The first a Buddhist text, the Chöki Namdrang, uh, states that they resided above the nine gods at the beginning of the world and that they were the protectors of the emperor Songtsengampo, Trisongdetsun, and so on, who relied on them as their protectors, as their summa. Hence, they were called the 13 Gurla of the ruler. 
I won't read the names here, but they're on the handouts. You can check it later or if it's look at it there. The second list is found in a burn text, which has a very similar name, the Bönki Namdang. And here a complete list of 13 is given. Again, I won't quote the whole list, <clears throat> refer to the handout. But um, I just want to point out that in this list, the last four are practically identical with the four deities named in the Chirki Namdang, indicating a common source. And of greater interest in the present context, however, is the fact that the Bungi Namdang, there the uh, three deities, the Yala Shampo, Nienchen Tangla, and Machen Pumra, listed among the 13 Gurla, um, are uh, also explicitly uh, mentioned as Yulha in the Drapalindrak, each associated with mountain bearing the name, uh, the same name. To the west, there's Yala Shampo. To the north, there's Nienchen Tangla. To the east, there's Machen Pumra. In addition, in the Drapalindrak, uh, there is the Dongla to the south. But it doesn't occur in the list of 13 Gurla. In the Drakpa Lingdrak, as in post-imperial Tibet generally, the Gurla thus have a regional nature as they are assigned to the cardinal directions. But they also, as you see, they are also linked to the, gur to the uh, Gurla, the Yulla and the Gurla are linked. According to the Drakpa Lingdrak, as long as the Yulla are favorably disposed, the realm of Tibet flourishes. But if they are offended by impurity, such as the introduction of the texts and rituals of Buddhism, they all turn their gaze away from the center where the king who has offended them presumably resides. Consequently, they must be propitiated after the cause of impurity has been removed. They therefore react in essentially the same way as the gurla. Perhaps one could envisage the king's gurla in the Drakpa Lingdrak as a kind of super yuva the Yul being the whole of Tibet, the country being the whole of Tibet, and not, as usual, restricted to the region surrounding the sacred mountain on which the deity resides or with, with which it is identified. Summing up, it remains a mystery why this particular term, the meaning and etymology of which remain unsolved, and designating what appears to be a rather obscure group of gods, was chosen at some unknown point of time, but probably not later than the end of the 12th century, by the constructors of the Bern historical narrative as a substitute for the earlier Kula. Perhaps an answer can be found by considering the political religious situation in Tibet in the 11th to 13th centuries. This was a period in which Buddhism, with its increasingly influential monastic institutions, gained ascendancy in almost all parts of Tibet. At the same time, Buddhism asserted itself as a Tibetan institution. This was the moving factor, the moving force behind the claim as the, uh, as a narrative of the Tibetan imperial period was being constructed, the claim that the emperors were emanations of Buddhas and Bodhisattvas and that the Tibetan nation had come into existence with a preordained task to be a haven for the Buddha's teachings, his dharma, when the, its very existence in India, its land of origin, was threatened. 
Not all Tibetans, however, were willing to accept this narrative. Some, designating themselves as Bumpus and their system of doctrine, ritual, and meditation as eternal burn, wished to perpetuate what they believed was the religion of the emperors. These post-imperial Bumpus, too, regarded Tibet and themselves as having a sacred mission, namely to preserve and perpetuate Vern. No matter how profoundly Vern, in this later sense, was influenced by Buddhism, a deep conflict of faith and practice was often perceived by the two camps, Vern and Buddhism, a conflict which to some extent continues today. It is therefore not surprising that the Bumpus too created their own historical narrative, radically contradicting that of the Buddhists. Although the Bumpus were deeply influenced by the dominant Buddhist religion, its values and worldview, they probably wished to avoid choosing a term to designate the protective deity of the emperor, which a term which was in use when the emperors adopted Buddhism, in other words, Kula. This might be the reason why they chose Gurla, which must have been, and still is, the name of an obscure deity or group of deities and which has no particular Buddhist connotations, but endowing it with entirely new properties, to some extent reminiscent of the majestic Kula of former times and in other ways related to the post-imperial Yulla. Thank you very much. That's what I wanted to uh, put before you today. And uh, this is uh, some uh, topic uh, which, together with many other questions in the Drakpa Lingdrak, is still work in progress. So I'll be very grateful indeed for any feedback, input, etc., uh, criticism, even uh, favorable comments <laughs> that you may have. Thank you. <laughs>